This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking with Eddie Rakanoe. Eddie is a husband, dad, and mindset coach, the co-founder and executive board member of Zenith Accelerator for early-stage startups, and the founder of Big Life Mindset, a suite of confidence-building initiatives. Eddie works with people to grow confidence so they can step out of their comfort zone, make lots of mistakes, and live in the moment, opening the door for them to enjoy the happiness they deserve. Eddie's leveraged his own confidence journey and quit the nine to five race while financially supporting seven dependents to live a life that exceeds reasonable expectations. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so as you know, we start every episode with your rose, bud, and thorn. What are yours today? Yeah, so my rose is, uh, I mean, I'm absolutely loving life at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. The mind and body feel really good, the mind especially. Uh, and I'm also spending a lot more time with my wife and now four kids, which is a happy place for me. Mm. What about your bud? What are you looking forward to? Um, so I recently submitted a manuscript of a hitchhiking journey that I undertook around parts of New Zealand in July. Uh, and I'm looking forward to kind of bringing that to fruition while the journey itself is still fresh. So that's yeah. yeah really looking forward to that. And what about your thorn? What's, what's not feeling so great? Yeah. I mean, you know, that said, I'm, I'm still managing a period of, of grief somewhat, uh, mm-hmm. following of a bereavement of a, of a very close friend. He was pretty much a brother. Uh, and it's more just the, I guess the fluctuating unexpected nature of when that grief can hit during the day that catches Mm -hmm. me off guard. Um, You know, it's not something I guess we deal with every day. So when it does happen and it happens to that extent, it really does kind of take the wind out of you a wee bit. So yeah, I'd I'd say that's my thorn. Yeah. Do you care if we kind of go into that? Because my audience knows that I'm kind of going through a a month of grief. This is like an anniversary for of a loss for me. And I'm also an Enneagram seven and where we suspect that you're an Enneagram seven mm-hmm. and we like to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. And that's more um, comfortable. So the sensation of grief is a lot. Yeah, it can be. Uh, and I think often we're, we're perhaps so busy feeling good that when those um, feelings of grief come, they can kind of catch you unawares. Uh, and a, a recent experience was we, a friend and I, it was actually a group of us, we were at the, um, at the cemetery and we were at this as well after the funeral, um, weeks or so. And then it was just a, a friend and myself and we were standing at the grave site and I, I felt like I'd 
kind of cried myself out in the, mm-hmm. the weeks prior to. Uh, and, you know, lo and behold, I, I started kind of weeping and then it started to come on stronger. And I thought, ah, oh, if, I, if I don't start to kind of rein this in, this is, this is really going to kind of the floodgates will open. And then I thought, mm-hmm. actually, that's absolutely fine. Let's mm-hmm. let it happen. And so I, I let it happen and it really did. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't tend to cry a lot. Um, don't get me wrong, I cry in movies and whatnot, but it's, mm-hmm. this is a very different kind. And uh, when I kind of chose to let it happen, it, it really all came out. And, you know, that that experience was, it was, I don't, I don't feel like I was carrying any weight on my shoulders prior to that, but I mm-hmm. certainly felt lighter afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think two of the takeouts for me on that, in that instance were one was, you know, just just being okay to cry, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is sometimes, I guess, looked at sideways, I guess, in particular if it's a guy. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one was uh, the friend that was there, he was, you know, he's a big, solid guy, very manly, and he he just kind of put his arms around me and, mm-hmm. and let let me cry. And he created a, he created a safe space that, that allowed that to happen as well. Mm. And so, you know, really grateful for the fact that he did, but it also, it, it um, became quite firm in my mind how valuable and how important it is that if, if you're around somebody who, who feels safe enough around you to share that kind of emotion, that you just let it happen. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what he did. And yeah, like I said, I'm just so grateful that he did. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like grief is kind of a situation where it feels like that's not really a choice you have, or do you feel like there's some sense that you've been on this journey to feeling your feelings and allowing the full range of the human experience for a minute? And then your ability to grieve is kind of a byproduct of that. Or uh, vice versa. No, that's a good question. I, I almost feel like it's a bit of both. So mm-hmm. I feel like grief is um, m- much like happiness. Uh, it, it comes and goes. It can come and go in waves. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be out in the garden and I'll be having just the time of my life out there. And I'm, I'm not a green thumb by any means. But then I'll think mm-hmm. about, you know, my friend passing and, and then it'll, it'll instantly change. Um, mm-hmm. And there are the times where oh, – and sorry, and, and when it changes, I'm just mindful of it and I recognize it. Um, there are other times where particularly uh, maybe – Three weeks after, um, after, and I'm not sure how sensitive a topic this is, but he he committed mm. suicide. So three oh weeks after that happened, uh, I, you know, I was I was just constantly swimming in this emotion of grief, and a mm. lot of it was down to not being able to get any separation between um, what had happened and the headspace, the clear headspace that I needed to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so to help manage that grief, I. I made a deliberate choice to <clears throat> stop listening to the music that we both enjoyed and to mm-hmm. stop going through the, you know, the endless photos that we'd had over the last 30-odd years. Uh, and for me, it was 
it was a really helpful way to create some of that distance that I needed to start mm-hmm. moving forward. To, I, I feel like it was part of the grieving process, but I also feel like without it, I was I was going to be really mired in that kind of that bog of just continual grief and um, mm-hmm. almost being in that land of I wish or I, I wish I had have said this or I wish mm-hmm. I'd have done that. And, you know, that's that, it's really a never-ending vortex uh, once you start going down that that spiral so yeah I felt like there's there's some ways and means that you can help manage the situation better because it's it's a it's a crummy situation you know it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's no there's not a lot of positive lights in there um yeah. but you know that said I I recognize that he was in a really really dark place and he was obviously hurting and so you know he's not in there anymore so mm-hmm. you know if I if I was to put some silver lining to it that would probably be it mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I'm cautious to, to say me too, but my loss is also a suicide, um, that we're grieving. And I, it is its own messy, complicated grief. Um, and I just, I think there's something really profound about being able to sit with someone who's also experienced that. So thank you for, being open about that just for per- my personal sake. Uh, it's my pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. I learned a lot from the process, process, if I can call it that, that journey. Yeah. Happy to share. Um, do you, so look, can we talk a little bit about the male aspect of this and like your relationship to emotions and kind of how we're taught to express or not express emotions and yeah. having that friend who was there with you, comforting you, um, I feel like so many men in the world don't get that sense of intimacy with their friends. Yeah, it's it's very big and it's a very functional aspect of my life is having friendships uh, that, that allow for that. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, myself and a, a couple of others, we created a – a group on Fridays that we meet, um, and it, it wasn't specifically intended for males. It just that that our friends kind of cottoning on and seeing a lot of the benefits that we got out of it. It, it drew um, guys into the equation, and so every Friday uh, we spend an hour and a half, two hours, and in the, in the, together at night. And the first hour or so is spent doing something physical, um, and we use that as an opportunity to just kind of wash away a lot of the you know the emails the meetings the everything else that kind of clouds the thinking Mm -hmm. but then it also helps us there's a little bit of mutual suffering in there as well I think Mm -hmm. um and then after that we gather around and and there's any other thing between you know three and say ten of us um and we use that as an opportunity to connect with each other because males in general are terrible at speaking to and, and sharing our emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a Pacific Islander, um, mm-hmm. and Pacific Islanders are more so kind of along that continuum or that spectrum of just being absolutely terrible at sharing and speaking to our <laughs> emotions. Uh, and so having a forum like this, which we call PD Fridays, it's Personal Development Fridays, mm-hmm. having this space where we've created a safe space and you can talk to what's on your mind, you know, what kind of challenges you might be facing at home, what kind of challenges you're facing at work, um, with people who have your best intentions at heart 
is is just so unbelievably powerful. Um, and you know, it's it's given myself and and I know you know a few of the others just some real um, game changing moments where we've been able to to do things that you know it sometimes can be hard to do when you're on your own. You know, if you're mm-hmm. as an example, if you're really if you really hate your job um, and you're looking at moving out, having having two or three people around you who are supporting you every step of the way and you know maybe helping write a CV or helping you bounce ideas, that kind of thing, it just it you know lightens that load. So um, so that was a really powerful aspect of it. But I think just in general, it's the connectivity that is is really uh, one of the most powerful aspects of that because. Mm-hmm when you feel more connected with people, you're more likely to share what's going on in your life. And, Mm. you know, despite what some of the movies and that tell us, like people out there actually do care. People out there Mm -hmm. do care about how you're doing and, you know, if they can help, then yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think it's so easy, especially in, you know, certain cultures, like um, in like Western cultures, I feel like it's very common to think that you can do it all on your own and that like it's that's noble, like you're supposed to be able to do it on your own. And mm. it's so it, – it like when I hear you talk about it, it's like, yeah, but why? Like why – limit ourselves to not having that nurturing, like to not having that support that you could have that is available to it, to us. Like none of us should have to, to do this alone. Mm, no, that's right. I think a lot of it comes down to um, the, the mindset that you can enter into when you're going through those really difficult periods, whether it's grief or whether it's a, you know, a boss at work or, or something else, you know, bills, whatever it might be. And, you know, being able to, I think, I don't want to say compartmentalize it because that's not really the word I'm thinking of, but being able to recognize it for what it is, it's this moment in time and that moment's going to pass no matter what, eventually it'll move on how you can manage the situation and then you know we always come back to what does good look like for you now if you if you Mm -hmm. picture a good day or a good month or a good year what does it look and feel like and then when people start to talk to those aspects of it you almost invariably can't help but start to uh, create some distance from that from that sorrow or that that um, challenge that might seem overwhelming because you can start to see what a future looks like and mm-hmm. if you can add some positive elements to that future you, you I find you invariably move towards more positive mindset and with that mindset as we all know you know you can make amazing things happen so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's not a I don't think it's a light switch kind of thing um, I think it's you know planting seeds at the right time having the right people around you and if you don't have the right people around you there are always people out there who are looking to help others mm-hmm. um, you know the world is uh, one of my favorite phrases the world is packed full of great people so yeah yeah. And I, I'm curious, and I think one of the things that has shown me that the world is good, like people are good, has been travel and just how when you are in a new place, you're completely lost. Maybe you don't know the, the language or you're, you don't know the, where you're going. And there are people who are like, let me feed you. Let me use my phone. I'll give you directions. <laughs> and you went on a hitchhiking journey. Yeah, like yeah, this that's year. right. 
Um, oh, it's it's one of the things that I, I love to do for, for a number of reasons, um, some of which you've just touched on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I tend to exert quite a lot of control over my life. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. roughly know what time I'm going to get up. I'll have a shower. I'll have breakfast around this time. I'll eat lunch around this time, you know, those kind of things. And you know, more so when I'm, when I'm in an office environment, it's, it's quite a structured, ordered kind of approach to life. And what I find hitchhiking affords is this opportunity to relinquish control, or at least mm-hmm. this illusion of control, because, you know, we, we plan our day out, but as I know, you know, a person could step across the road and get hit by a car. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, could, it could change in an instant. And so hitchhiking gives me that, place where I can step away from the control um, but it also I, I put myself in a, in a vulnerable position obviously standing on the side of the road and I'm uh, I'm I need the driver to reciprocate that vulnerable uh, that vulnerability mm-hmm. and by doing so what I found is that when I enter the car it it's accelerated that trust building that might normally take years for some people. And, and in fact, what I found through my experiences is that the conversations that I have with these drivers, some of them I've never had with even my closest of friends. Mm-hmm. And in turn, I've been privileged enough to experience numerous conversations with people, the drivers, where they've shared some aspect of their life's journey with me. And I've realized either at the time or in hindsight, that was the first time that person has ever told that story to anybody. And, you know, you can see it on the the physical release that takes place as they're driving the car. You know, the shoulders just—it's just a big exhale of breath. And I think, wow, this person's been carrying that for a long time. Yeah. And this meant this meant a lot to that person. And so, to be fortunate, I guess, enough to be in that situation where somebody feels safe enough to to share something like that with you is just one of the most rewarding aspects of of life I've had. Um, you know, I, I've done some cool stuff, but that, that really ranks right up there because we're it, – it's just so meaningful. You can't help but be moved by a situation like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, very cool. I love what you said about control because I've been – in this process of learning and unlearning what happiness is. And I think for a long time, I thought I can make happiness happen in any situation. I can guarantee my happiness if I plan well enough, if I think this, if I just like, if I, and it's always in the future. It's like, oh, I'll be happy when this happens or I can be happy tomorrow or like this is going to make me so happy. And, and then in the moment, things are not that simple, right? Like things happen. The world is difficult. You think you're going to go to the Eiffel Tower and it's actually a lot of long lines and sweating and fear of heights that show up. And happiness, right, is in embracing that sensation of being out of control kind of and being able to say like, yeah, I can be happy even here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I really, I did a... um, during a previous lockdown in New Zealand, I went online. I did one of these free courses that was coming out of Yale, and it was 
was the, I don't know if it was called the science of happiness, but it was, it was themed along those lines. And what I found was a lot of the things that I had thought and had given um, you know some mental energy towards, I, but I didn't have the vocabulary to describe them. They were talking about it in this course, and I I'm a nerd at heart, and so I I went away and I kind of mulled over it for quite a bit, and then I I found that over the really the course of my life, but more specifically over the last seven years, I had started to define what happiness looked and felt like for me. And then I reached a, a stage where I was, when I was writing it down, I knew when I do this thing, I feel happy. When I do this thing, I don't, I don't get that sensation of happiness. So what are some of the things, how have I defined happiness? What are the characteristics of happiness for me? And I found that being uncomfortable is one of the areas where I actually draw happiness from because what I find is is when I'm comfortable, if I, if I kind of put my hand just in front of my chest, that's kind of my level of where I'm comfortable. And then if I put my other hand, you know, a foot above my head, that's where I'm uncomfortable. That space in between is where I'm growing. That's my mm-hmm. stretch. And I love that. I love being challenged. I love, I love that growth. And in a, you know, kind of a bizarre way, being uncomfortable has unlocked that that sensation of happiness that I get when I'm growing. Mm. Um, but I also found that I was finding things like social connections. You know, I love people. People absolutely uh, just fascinate me. They, they're my jam. If you put JavaScript or spreadsheets in front of me, my eyes glaze over. Um, <laughs> but but people, I am, you know, I can just find myself falling into listening to their life journeys and just loving every word of it. Um, there's variety, which you know, is something that I find is extremely important. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a person that if I'm if I'm doing something, I like to do a lot of a lot of things, uh, kind of surface level in one or two quite deeply, rather than focus on one thing and just be supremely good at it. You know, that's not really how my brain stays stimulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also things like um, sleep, intimacy, exercise, savoring and gratitude, service. You know, those things which are almost daily practices, which whether I realize it or not, I draw happiness from them um, mm-hmm. or I, I draw positivity out of them. You know, sleep being a number one, but I know if I do 10 minutes of exercise, I'll feel better for it pretty much mm-hmm. as soon as I start to pardon me, as soon as I start doing it and as soon as I've finished. So I think just having that awareness has helped me know what the ingredients are and but without I guess chasing the the happiness um the happiness drug if I can call it that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's more like, okay, when I'm in these situations, it tends to be that I feel good afterwards. And lo and behold, that's that's really what I've found. I like that it's almost like you have like a recipe and you can you always have some what you need to care for yourself like your that awareness of these are some things that I can pull out if I need if I need some support. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um and being able to kind of go to them like some activities I know um you know and, and this really came from a work context by the way. So I mentioned 7 years ago I was in a job mm-hmm. and I was paid really well. Uh, I was, uh, you know, one of high, a number of high performers in a high performing team. It was a highly autonomous role. All of, it ticked all the boxes, right? 
But um, after a number of restructures, I found that I wasn't happy and I couldn't mm-hmm. understand why. Um, because if I looked at it on paper, everything everything adds up. And then it was during the course of kind of understanding more about the job, I, I picked up this thing called a Johari window, which is a, a tool that you can use to help identify what, what you know about yourself and what others know about you. And then I was starting to look at things during my nine to five. And I said, well, here's a thing that I'm really good at, but I actually don't like doing it. Or conversely, here's a thing that I'm not great at, but I really enjoy it when I do. So some examples of that are like typing. I can type really fast, but I don't want to be behind a keyboard all day um, because that doesn't kind of align with one of my values and things I love, and that's people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as I was going through that process, I started to kind of expand and extrapolate it out across my life. And so what are some of the things that I'm doing in my life right now that I actually don't like doing? Um, And after I had started to define what happiness looked like for me on one hand, then on the other hand, I had to ask myself the question, this thing that I'm doing right now, does that line up with my definition of happiness? And if it doesn't, I have to ask myself the question, why the bloody hell am I doing it? <laughs> why am I doing this thing if I, if I know it's not going to make me happy or if I know it doesn't doesn't bring me any positivity or any anything that like that that I really want more of in my life? Mm-hmm. And that that was a key thing. That was a key point in time where I started to make a conscious decision actually if this thing doesn't um, doesn't align with my definition of happiness, I'm going to start getting it out of my life because it's it's actually not. It's a negative, mm-hmm. um, and you know sometimes sometimes those can be quite um, that can come down to relationships that you have with people. You know, uh, unfortunately there are there are some relationships that people have and they just they're not healthy, and mm-hmm. so sometimes you you know in order for your own mental health and and the resilience, you kind of need to determine, actually, is this something that I need to continue carrying on with or is it, can it be addressed or is this something that I need to cull from my life in order to live the kind of life that I want to lead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in this season, is this kind of where you decided to leave your nine to five or was this like kind of around the same time? Yeah, so the the decision to leave the nine to five probably started at a subconscious level about two years ago um, when I sorry, sorry, it's about three years ago now when that the job that I'd mentioned I was in there for five years and I had reached a stage where I thought okay I'm, I'm no longer happy I know this um, I, I don't feel valued and that's that's important to me and so I you know, in, in very deep consultation with my wife, I made the decision to leave my job with nothing to go to. Mm. Um, we had, uh, so in my house, in our house, I, we've bought my family home. We look after my mother at the moment. We look after an uncle as well. It's my wife and we've got four children. Mm. At the time, we had two less bodies, but we had um, – our son was a couple of months old, and so that was that's a huge step to take yeah. to say actually my happiness is more is worth more than the money that they're giving me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we did that. We did that together, and it was one of the best decisions 
I've ever made or we've ever made and the result of that, that that first step has been, you know, the stage where I'm at at the moment and that's, um, you know, I'm financially free. Uh, I've actually picked up two more dependents. You know, we've got, we've got a nine-month-old daughter and as I mentioned, I've got my uncle here as well that I look after mm-hmm. uh, and just being able to take control of my life and say, actually, this is, this is how I want to live my life and this is how I can do it. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a nerd at heart. And so seeing how you can actually put a process to that, because if somebody had have said to me a year before I left the first job, oh, I come, I'm going to leave now with nothing to go to, I would have struggled mentally to understand how that could be a possibility. But now that I've done it and, and I coach other people on how to do it, it's, it's, really comes down to executing a plan and that plan just comes about by working out well what is it that you want to achieve at the end of it cool let's work backwards and break it up into bite-sized chunks and um yeah once you finally take that first step it's it's almost irresistible to take the next step and the one after that and we'll take a quick break to hear from today's podcast sponsor which is thrive i love companies that give back with every purchase Plus, I love me some good makeup. Thrive Cosmetics combines everything I want into one amazing product. Thrive Cosmetics products are made with clean, high-performance, skin-loving ingredients. Their clinically proven formulas not only highlight your best features, they actually improve your skin over time. Thrive Cosmetics never tests on animals. They're Leaping Bunny and PETA certified as 100% vegan and cruelty-free. Thrive Cosmetics has a bold mission that's truly bigger than beauty. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. Women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, fighting cancer, and more. My favorite product is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. This ultra-lengthening, eye-opening mascara will make people think you're wearing lash extensions, and it doesn't flake, smudge, or clump, which always happens to me when I try and wear mascara. Plus, I'm someone who doesn't like to wear mascara very often because I have to wash it out from under my eyes. But with the Thrive Mascara, it comes off so clean and it doesn't smudge so I don't get those like raccoon eye things the next day. So I feel like I'm able to wear mascara as often as I want to. I personally do love everything about Thrive Cosmetics. Their products are the best I've ever used and their Bigger Than Beauty mission is really inspiring. It shows us what you can do when you put ethics and integrity behind everyday items. You're going to love them as much as I do. I know it. So visit thrivecosmetics.com slash egram for 15% off your first order. This is an exclusive offer that you can only get here. So that's thrive, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, cosmetics, get it, dot com slash egram for 15% off your first order. So it's thrivecosmetics.com slash egram. Thank you, Thrive, so much for supporting the podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love that you did this not when you were single and had all of the freedom and you could just kind of lower your expenses and, you know, it's like, no, you did this with like the max amount of responsibility that you could ask for. And you hitchhiked like on your, on a journey by yourself mid being a parent. I think so often when I talk with people, they're saying to me like, well, I would do that, but like I have kids, I would love to be able to go on an adventure, but I have kids. And it's like, you have this one life and yeah, we want that for our, our loved ones too. Was that like a, like, how did, how did you wrap your head around like, okay, yes, like living the best life and responsibility. Like how do we make those two work together? Yeah, I'm, you know, I've, I'm in an extremely fortunate position and, uh, and, and obviously have put a lot of effort in as well that um, my wife, Debbie and I, we've got a a very strong relationship. You know, we've mm-hmm. been together for 24 years. We've been married for 16. Um, I'm 42, if that helps with the maths. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we've we've been able to build our relationship and our understanding over a long period of time. But it's also mm-hmm. been driven a lot by communication. So that that's a very high priority in our in our house is that we're you know I don't think a day goes by when we don't talk between ourselves and with the kids and with um, my mum and my uncle about the, the the need for everybody to communicate clearly and openly consistently mm-hmm. um, you know when you do that you find it's not like okay kids I'm going to go out and get the milk and by the way I'm also going to go hitchhiking you know around New Zealand <laughs> surprise uh, surprise yeah that kind of thing it, it's it's uh, a, another step in the journey if I can use that pun of conversations galore around you know why why is dad going on this journey what, what is it that dad draws out of this journey what are some things that um you know, how will the house operate while I'm away? You know, there's, there's just so many facets to it that I wouldn't dream of taking that first step out the door unless I felt confident that we're all on board in this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I, I think for the kids and, and I know for Debbie as well is that um, because I've I've already spoken and, and they're very well versed with the things that I draw happiness from, they can see, all right, dad's going to go on this thing and he's going to, you know, that's that's the thing that he enjoys and when he gets back, you know, we're going to enjoy this family time together. And, and it, you know, one of the things that I get from um, hitchhiking is that when I get back, it's it's almost like the, it frees up more headspace as well to enjoy the quality time that I'm having with the mm-hmm. kids that, um, that I may not have enjoyed to the same extent prior to. It's almost like that absence mm-hmm. grow, makes the heart grow fonder. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not to say there's anything 
um, you know, an, uh, extremely challenging about the family life prior to, but it just mm-hmm. has that different flavour to it when you when you come back together and uh, you know the excitement of just being absolutely mobbed by my kids at the door when I when I came back mm-hmm. um, when I or when I came back pretending to be the pizza man. You know, like <laughs> that kind of that kind. That's a mild. That's a life memory for me, and yeah. it just it, it's embedded itself so deeply in my my mind that even thinking about it now, I feel so good about that moment. Um, so yeah, like I said, I guess bring it back to it. It really does come down to that communication, and you know, I have a phrase that um, no matter the problem, if people are involved, communication will always be part of the solution. And I I think that's a good example. Yeah. I love that you're like, yeah, we have these conversations. We keep the conversations going. And it's almost like when, so often when I hear that as like, this is my stopping point, a lot of times they've never even brought it up to their spouse or even considered talking about it. And they might be really pleasantly surprised to hear that their spouse is completely on board. And or you can continue to have the conversation until you get to a place where you're both comfortable with it. Um, yeah, I love that you, it's not like we just, it happens overnight. I also loved what you said about, you know, thinking about your kids. And I'm, because I think a lot about how we don't, you know, I, as much as I would like to just teach my kid everything and be like, this is what I think a good life is. Here's what you should do. He's going to learn so much more by seeing how I live. He's going to see where my words and my actions don't line up. And if I say you should live a happy life and then I don't choose to live a happy life, that's going to be noticed. That's what he's going to learn. Yeah. You're, I think you're spot on. I really do. They'll see it, and kids are, you know, as we know, kids are like sponges. They absorb everything, um, and they're really perceptive about things that sometimes I think adults overlook because we're just so used to not looking in that direction or or thinking about it that way. But kids really do pick up on on the actions and what you're doing and how you behave and the way you talk to people and the way you, you care for people. You can say, "Oh, yeah, I want you to look after look after." Your, your sibling or look after a person on the street and you can talk about it till the cows come home but when they see you doing it in action consistently you know this is the thing that you prioritize empathy for people care mm-hmm. gratitude those kind of things they can't help but absorb that that's what they'll do they'll take that on board and they'll say yeah this is the thing this is how i act and this is what i think mum and dad think good looks like so yeah mm-hmm. they're, they're great for that mm. um so one of the things in when you talk about working with people, you talk about um, the giving people the confidence to make lots of mistakes. Can yes. we talk about the benefit of letting yourself make mistakes? Because I know some of our folks struggle with it. Yeah, uh, look, even I still do at times, but uh, I know the hurdle that comes with the, the mental hurdle that comes with being okay to make mistakes. So um, I grew up in a household that was quite unforgiving of mistakes, uh, you know, whether that was in the, um, kind of the personal, you know, the, the, within the confines of our house or whether that was at school, it was, they weren't looked upon um, kindly. 
And, you know, that, that can instill a lifetime of thinking that mistakes are bad and that they're to be avoided at all costs. Um, unfortunately, what that does is it kind of compresses people down into a comfort zone that is it's not actually a comfort zone. It's just a, a space that's surrounded by chains because you, you can't. You, d- you just don't have that freedom of thought to do things that you actually might want to do, St- you know, places where you could challenge yourself, where you could grow, where you could stretch. And so a lot of the, um, the coaching elements that I provide people are around looking at, well, you know, coming back to that, what does good look like for you? Okay, the things that you're doing at the moment, is that going to get you there? And if it's not what are some small steps that you can start to take where you will achieve that? Now, those small steps are bite-sized chunked enough that you could, when you do them, you've made some progress. But if you don't manage to make it for whatever reason, it's not a critical setback. It's just something that, you know what? I tried it, didn't work out, but I've got this, I've now got another opportunity just to the right side of that. Or at least I know... I gave that thing a try and I can try something else again. Mm-hmm. You know, that fear of failure that we have is not easily broken down, but it absolutely can be broken down. Um, one of the the levers that I use, and, you know, we spoke about it earlier, um, mm. and, and, and gender in people is confidence. Because that confidence, as we all know, is, is key. It is just so critical. And... You know, I've I've left that nine to five environment, that office environment, and one of the things that really frustrated me was, you know, I'd be sitting in a room with ten other people, and there'd be an even mix of males and females, and then a question would come up, and I would see perfectly capable females in the room that were even the subject matter experts, not be asked for their opinion or not um, forward their opinion, even though they were the person that needed to speak. And, you know, we would often defer to the oldest male in the room. Bye, darling. Um, Thank you. Um, Sorry, one of my daughters is just leaving for school. Uh, Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And so, you know, it really frustrated me. And I could see it was – it really – when I distilled it down, when you distill it down, it came down to a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, seeing how that plays out in in an office environment, let alone, you know, every other facet of society, I start to think, okay, how can I change this? How can I turn the tables on this? Um, You know, I I mean, I've got a mum, I've got a wife, I've got three daughters. I I want to Mm -hmm. see this imbalance addressed Mm -hmm. uh, amongst other reasons. And so, by focusing on confidence and using practical everyday actions that people can use when I'm not even there to help them build up their confidence and then see that playing out and then see them become more self-aware of how their confidence is used is extremely gratifying. Mm -hmm. Um, Confidence is a weapon and unfortunately, your, a person's lack of confidence will be used against them in certain situations. An office mm-hmm. environment is a good example. It can also be used by the person as a weapon. 
So you can build up your confidence enough that if you're having a conversation with, uh, let's say, a manager who is, and I can speak to an example of that. I'll speak to a personal example. Yeah. So I had a manager where um, he was, he wasn't my line manager. I didn't report to him, but I met him in a meeting and he was a, he was very much the alpha male. And he did that thing that guys do sometimes where they sit on a chair and then they, they kind of spend they spread their legs as wide as possible for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, moving on. And it's a real, like, I own the space kind of uh-huh. physical behavior. It's demonstrating I'm the alpha male here. And I've studied a lot about um, the power of, you know, your body, you, the, the cues, that the signals that you send, you know, and I use them hitchhiking as well. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to play this game. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, you know, open up my chest and pull my shoulders back and head up, and then I deliberately placed my legs outside of his, and I just sat there and I watched him talk, and I didn't speak, and then I could see the as the penny dropped with him, he started to reduce the size of his stature. He started to mm-hmm. draw his shoulders in. His legs came closer towards each other. The tone of his voice dropped. He started to, you know, every, everything about it, all the cues were there that, okay, what he's recognized is that he's responding to the confidence signals that I'm putting out and he's managing his behavior accordingly. Now, that is a very real thing. People mm-hmm. will change how they behave towards you if they, depending on where they gauge your confidence levels at. If they gauge you as being an extremely confident person, they're going to modify how they're going to approach you. Mm-hmm. Now, the real gift behind all of this is that it's a myth that you have to be confident in order to project confidence. It's a myth. You can have no confidence whatsoever. You can put your body in different positions and that will send a signal to a person that you are confident. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit in there that you know listeners might think, oh, what's he saying? But ultimately, if I stand in front of a person, maybe I'm having a – or prior to when I – if I wasn't feeling confident, I would deliberately stand with my feet just outside my shoulder width apart and with my feet splayed outwards. Now, whether I was feeling confident that day or not, what that's going to do is it's going to actually straighten up my posture. It's going to Mm. pull my shoulders back. It's going to open my chest up. And with that, my chin's going to rise up a little bit. Now, those are all the cues of a positive, confident person that I'm putting out there. Now, that's whether I felt it or not once again. And so it's something like that, something as granular as just changing how you place your feet when you're standing and talking to a person that I think people don't realize how invaluable it is and how much it can change their mindset, the mindset of others that are around them, and the opportunities that they can create from scratch just by doing that. Hmm. Man, I think about the... There, you know, there's certain types on the Enneagram, one in particular I'm thinking of who they feel like they don't matter, like their voice doesn't matter. And 
And it's almost like they're trying to take up as little space in the room as possible. And so I love the thought of them standing in such a way that says, like, I'm going to hold space here. Whether or not I feel like I belong, whether or not I feel like my voice matters, like, I will hold my space. And I think about, like, those meditation practices that you do where you smile and it does make you happy. Like maybe you start not happy, but then just through the act of physically smiling, you get happier. And I can imagine the same being the case with the confidence. Like you hold that space and the confidence can follow just from the posture. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I love the analogy as well. It's a great one. Um, I'm going to use that. Uh, yeah, so so what you find is people start to defer to you more as well, and that builds mm-hmm. confidence. You know, when you're – if you're the subject matter expert, or even if you've not, even if you've just got an opinion, the fact that you are putting that opinion out there, people will start to listen. And, you know, it's like anything. Practice makes progress. The more you do this thing, the more you practice just standing there with your feet splayed open, even if it's only in front of a mirror, the more you're going to familiarize yourself with that, the more it'll become a part of your everyday. And Mm -hmm. soon you won't even realize that you're doing it. But people that are talking with you will. They'll see that. They'll pick up on those cues. And then once again, they start to adapt their behaviors. Um, And this, look, this applies uh, whether it's, in an, um, in an office, you know, with the executives in a boardroom, uh, or if it's at home with the kids, you know, if I if I stand there and I'm talking to my 12 year old who's 12 today, by the way, happy birthday, Maya, um, and I've crossed my legs and I'm kind of demure and what I'm trying to say, she's going to pick up on those cues straight away and she'll climb all over it. Um, but if I'm if I'm confident about what I'm talking about and I am like actually no this is what needs to happen for these reasons. And, you know, I can mm-hmm. support those with my body language or whatever else I've decided to use. They'll pick up on that. So, yeah, I think it's um, just, as I mentioned, familiarity, practice, and it doesn't need to, you don't need to go from, you know, where you are today to Anthony Robbins tomorrow. It, <laughs> it's just a process and you can follow the process and trust in it and just take small steps, which is, I think, um, a bit where most people tend to fall over. They, they think they need to go from woe to go, but actually just those small steps will get you there. Yeah. I love practice makes progress. And I think that's a really great kind of phrase for us to hold on to as we move forward. Is there anything lingering for you that you'd like to say before we hit rapid fire questions? Um, what's lingering? I'll probably just, I guess, reinforcing a lot of what I'd said around um, the value of, you know, being connected. The communication is, is just so key, um, whether that's with your friends, your family, um, people at work, whatever it might look like. Um, it'll always be part of the solution. So, you know, really being able to speak to that, even if you're, you know, quite um, introverted, you know, working out ways that you can communicate your thoughts, your opinions, your emotions, um, super powerful. But uh, like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate that I've got, uh, you know, my wife and I have the bond that we do um, that you know, our house is kind of with eight people. It's a it's a small village. You know, we've just come out of lockdown, so uh, you know, I I feel like I'm continually surrounded in that support. Um, and so I think you know, 
it's just it's all it's really beneficial to have and i think if you do have somebody around you that can support you you know talk to them and if you don't there are definitely people out there who are willing to lend an ear it's yeah like i said the world is full of good people Mm. so good um all right i'm gonna give us our rapid fire soundtrack before we hop into the fun part which is just getting to know you a little bit more dun 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 that's the soundtrack that's the whole thing Okay. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what is the first book that comes to mind? Um, the Magic of Thinking Big uh, by oh. David Schwartz. Uh, so I picked it up after hearing it recommended by Tim Ferriss, um, who many people will be familiar with. And even though it was written in the 50s, much of the text reads true in terms of thinking big and you'll live big. Now, if you think a big life, you'll live a big life. Then um, also how much, how that kind of mindset creates and attracts positive experiences. So yeah, the magic of thinking big. Awesome. What about a favorite song? Uh, at the moment, I've probably listened too much to a song called Only You um, by Tucker Perry and Gia Vaughan. Uh, it's if you find on YouTube or Spotify, it's it's you as in the letter U. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's my jam at the moment. Sweet. Um, I always listen to the song that the person tells me on my way home from here. So I'll, I'll listen to that on the way home. Oh, cool. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Something you wish people knew about you. Um, yeah, I guess so. Sometimes I'll be in a conversation. Uh, especially on the phone, and I'll go quiet. Uh, and it's it's not because I've checked out. I mean, far from it. It's because I'm actually taking the time to really understand and process what I've heard so that I can value the conversation properly. Mm-hmm. And I also find it's it gives me an opportunity to kind of hear what hasn't been said, you know, what, what kind of emotion – might, or thinking might be sitting beneath the surface. So, yeah, if I'm ever in a conversation with you and I go quiet, that's why. I love that. Your dream day, what are you doing? Oh, um, I think whatever it is, it involves people, um, mm. variety, challenges to my comfort zone, or really opportunities for growth. Um, I'll be able to make a positive impact on people and something where I'm accumulating a positive experience. So I think that's my dream day. Your final meal, what are you eating? Oh, okay. Um, I can't help but think about the granola that I made yesterday. But I think, and uh, this probably speaks to my Pacific Island origins, is that I'll be eating a thing called hikamata, which is raw fish uh, marinated in fresh lemon and it's drowned in coconut cream and spring onion. Um mayonnaise, uh, taro leaves, and, and coconut cream. Yeah, uh, my mouth's watering already. Yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> and so some food for thought. So something that people can leave here today just kind of keeping in mind and thinking about throughout the day. Sure. Um, so this is something I, I, I can't remind myself often enough, uh, and that is to be present. Um, be more present in the situation and the environment and the experience, whatever it might be. And you know, less staring at the phone and less looking at other people living their lives uh, and simply having more awareness of life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just, just being present. Be present. 
Mm-hmm. And where can we keep in touch? Where can we follow you online? Where can we keep up with your work? Cool. So I've got a number of places. Um, probably the best two at the moment to reach me are through Instagram. And my handle is big underscore life underscore mindset. So that's big underscore life underscore mindset. Or you can just email me directly. And that's big life mindset at gmail.com. So big life mindset at gmail.com. See, and we'll make sure to link those in the show notes for y'all as well. Eddie, it was so fun to hang out with you and talk to you today. Likewise. And it's my pleasure as well. Yeah. Thank you for making the time to do it. Not a problem. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for the, the time and also to the listeners out there that have taken the time to join us on that journey. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.